0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Welcome to the campuses joining us. So glad you're hanging out with us for Chick Night tonight. I'm looking forward to the night, just being here with you and, um, and, oh, I need my notes. Probably be good if I had my notes, right? Because then I'll know what to say. I had this. I actually, spat on my way up here, I packed my notes in my suitcase, which is so stupid if you're a speaker because um, if your suitcase doesn't make it, then you don't have your notes just realized that after I boarded the plane and sat down I was like oh okay so I start going through my my message in my head Like, okay these are my points these are my verses I think I have some on my iPhone like I was freaking out but luckily my notes made it so I'm good but um I'm really excited to be here tonight and like Becca said she and Rob are good friends of ours we've loved getting to know them through ARC we're part of this church planting organization called ARC Association of Related Churches and that's really how I came to know Becca and Rob and then a couple of years ago Becca said that um we were here and that's because my my husband had emergency heart surgery he had an enlarged aorta and um and had to get his aortic root replaced and we had to go up here to the um, it was a miracle the whole story is a really miracle how we even got in but we went up to Rochester and um when we were up here for the preliminary test just to see actually what needed to be done, it was so comforting to step off the plane and um, here and then to see Rob and Becca there. And, you know, it's scary to think your husband has to go, you know, one minute. He's 40 years old, super healthy, working out every day. We'll never join you in dessert no matter what. Like so healthy, it's like you almost can't stand it. And um And then the next day, he's like, I've got to cut my chest open and have open heart surgery. I have this genetic disorder. And um, to walk off and see them there was so comforting, just so comforting. And then on the way back, they even allowed us to stay in their guest bedroom, which was so over and above, so did not have to do that, but... I remember the next morning, I woke up and I was like, "Oh, you know, I would really love coffee." You know, the awkward moment when you wake up in somebody else's house and you're in your pajamas. You know, we're friends with them, but you know, not vacation like not like we've woken up in our pajamas with each other before. Okay, not that kind of friend. And a lot of them, we're not there yet. So, um, so. <laughs> But anyway, I'm thinking I just would love some coffee, but, like, I'm afraid I'm embarrassed to go down, you know, and I'm thinking how I'm going to get coffee, and all of a sudden I hear this little tinkle, tinkle, tinkle outside the door, and I open the door to the bedroom, and it's, okay, Becca has left a tray with, like, a silver coffee pot and china and not even, not knocking on the door, handing it to me, okay? She's set it down and, like, rang a bell and ran away so that I don't have to be (laughs) in my pajamas. I was like... I need to step it up. I mean, forget Southern hospitality. What about Midwestern hospitality, huh? I was shamed. Southern girl, I'm like, I'm going to have to step it up because this is not good. This is not good. The Midwesterners are beating me out, you know, beating me out of it. So anyway, what a great, that was, so now I think you're all like that. So if I ever go stay at your house, you have to bring me coffee in bed and tinkle a bell and run away so that I won't be embarrassed to come see you in my pajamas. So anyway, well, great, I have a a message for you tonight called You Might Be an Overcomer If. Do I have anybody in here tonight who is facing some things that they need to overcome? Anything in life that you think, you know, it would be great if I could overcome that, but maybe I'm not sure if I'm the kind of girl that can overcome this. I don't know if I have what it takes to be an overcomer in life, the kind of overcomer that can overcome anything that life throws my way, and maybe you're walking through some things tonight, you've brought some things in with you, and you're thinking, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this with my life intact, with everything intact. So I just want to encourage you with some things tonight. And, you know, I was looking for um, some jokes to tell at the beginning of my message because apparently you people won't listen to me if I'm not funny when I start. That's what, all the, that's what all the communication experts tell me. So I was trying to look for some jokes. And I thought it would be funny, you know, the, the, the title of my message is you might be an overcomer if. And so have you ever heard that you might be a blank if, like you might be a gator fan if you might. Well, my favorite ones were you might be a redneck if. So I figure since I'm all the way up in Minnesota, there's probably not rednecks here. They're a safe group of people to make fun of. If you are a redneck in here, it's okay. I am too, so I'm making fun of myself. But here's, here's some funny ones I found. You might be a redneck if you cut your grass and found a car. You might be a redneck if you have a homemade fur coat. You might be a redneck if you have ever given rat traps as a gift. That has actually happened to me before. Okay. Your wife ha- you might be a redneck if your wife has ever said, move this transmission so I can take a bath. You might be a redneck if you've ever been involved in a custody fight over a hunting dog. Sometimes it happens. And then my favorite one, you might be a redneck if your hairdo has ever been messed up by a ceiling fan. It's big. It's big hair. So, all right. But you know what? Tonight, I want to just give you a few tips if you're wondering if you're an overcomer or not. I want to give you some ways that you can know whether or not you're an overcomer. And the title of my message tonight is You Might Be an Overcomer If. Hey, um, is there a countdown clock in here? Nope. Y'all but shout, you tell me if I go over, just, shh, just stop. Okay. All right, so let's just pray together and then we'll get started. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you that your word does tell us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And Father, I thank you that even though. We may not always feel like it, God. I'm sitting in a women, a room full of women who are overcomers tonight. And I pray that your word would quicken that, make it alive to us, make it real to us, God, and change us from the inside out as we learn more about you and the power of God in us, in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Okay, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25, and I'm gonna read from there later on, but first of all, I wanna start off with this. You might be an overcomer if you have a rise up, factor. A rise up factor. Can you say that? Rise up factor. That's the first clue. If you're not sure if you're an overcomer, if you have what it takes to overcome in life, you will know that you are an overcomer if you have what I like to call a rise up factor. What is a rise up factor? A rise up factor is just that thing in you that won't let you quit And I don't know about you, but there have been times when I have been down to the quitting line. You know what I'm saying? I get all the way down there, and I think, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I give up? Other people give up all the time. They go on to live happy, healthy lives. What is this thing in me that will not let me quit? And I really think it is that when you are born again Christian, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have, whether you want it or not, whether you like it or not, This thing called a rise-up factor is this thing inside you that refuses to let you quit when you know that you are pressing through into the will of God. And so I want to read to you a story of someone who did not have a rise-up factor. It's from Genesis chapter um, 25, verses 29 through 34. And this is a super familiar Bible story for lots of you who know this but um, who, who are familiar with the Bible. But this is a story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And Esau was this big manly hunter type dude. He was always out hunting and doing manly things, growing hair on his chest and killing things and working in the fields and sweating and grunting. Okay, so that was, that was Esau. But then there was Jacob. And Jacob was more like the, the artist of the family. You know, he was like the chef. He liked to stay back and take care of the house and, you know, just kind of do stuff around the house. Esau was the firstborn and Jacob was the secondborn. They were twins but Esau came out first. And so he was technically the firstborn of the family. And one day Esau comes in from hunting in the field. And this is what it says in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Exhausted. Okay. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Some of your virgins might say, I'm going to die anyway one day. Why do I need a birthright? That was kind of his attitude. And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, beans, basically. If you've ever had lentils, it's beans. And he, he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And thus Esau <clears throat> despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. So here is Esau. And I want you to picture Esau because Esau has been out in the fields hunting all day, doing what he does, what he loves to do. But when he comes back, he's at the point of exhaustion. He's worked himself so hard. Even the things he's doing, he's doing something he loves now. He's doing his deal. He's doing what he's good at. But he's pushed himself so hard at it that he now comes to, comes back to the camp, comes back to the house, and he is so worn out. He is so depleted. He is so empty. Empty on the inside. He's hungry. He's famished. But he doesn't just say, I'm so hungry. He says, I'm exhausted. And you know something? When you get yourself to the point of exhaustion and you let yourself become spiritually empty on the inside and physically fatigued, that is a place that you can bring yourself to where you really want to give up, where you're ready to quit. You know, it's so important that if you're going to have a rise-up factor, you have to fill yourself up You can't let yourself get to this place where Esau was. Another thing you look at Esau is whenever Jacob said, you know, sell to me your birthright. What was his response? Now, as a birthright, okay, for those of you who don't know, Esau being the firstborn son of this family, it was kind of unfair, but it was just the way it was. When his father died, he got twice as much inheritance as his brother. He got the major portion of the estate because he was expected not only just to be the older brother, but he had to step into the shoes of his father. He took responsibility for taking care of his mother, administrating the funds, taking care of all his nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters, guarding the house, guarding the possessions, creating a legacy for future generations. It was a huge role. And so because he was called to that, he was going to be resourced with his birthright. He was going to be given the huge share of the inheritance when his father was died. Was died. And his father was on his deathbed. He was very ill at this point. And it's, the funny thing about Esau is here he is, knowing he's been raised his entire life with this destiny spoken over him. Now son, he would go out to the field with his dad. Now son, when I die, you're going to need to make sure that this is what you're going to do. You're going to watch the sheep. You're going to make sure they're healthy. You've got to inspect them. You've got to know the state of your flocks. Now son, whenever I die, you're going to need to know this is the time to plant. This is the time to harvest. This is the time to sow. This is how you, this is how you store your grain. You're going to be in charge. This is your role. This is your destiny. This is your influence. This is your impact. This is your legacy. All day long, every day, from the time he was young, destiny spoken over him. But he gets to this place where he's totally exhausted and he's totally hungry on the inside. And in the moment, his need feels so great that when Jacob says, sell me your birthright, he goes, I'm going to die one day anyway. Why do I need a birthright? I mean, can you believe it? Like everything that he was supposed to be for a bowl of beans, he just gave it away. Because what did he do? He knelt down to his exhaustion. He knelt down to his hunger. He knelt down To the need of the moment and the hunger of the moment. And instead of rising up right then and standing up to his exhaustion and standing up to his hunger, he knelt instead. He did not have a rise up factor. When you don't have a rise up factor, it will cause you to trade what God has placed in your hand, what He has placed on your life, what He has called you to for the need of the moment. And you know what? What God has for you can never measure up to what the world has. What the world has is a bowl of beans compared to what God has for you. Don't ever forget it. You are planted in a house that constantly speaks destiny over your life. You are planted in a house that is constantly stirring up God dreams, that is constantly placing value on the role that you as women carry in the church and in the world and in your homes. And don't ever forget that anything that causes you to sell that short is just a bowl of beans. Nothing is worth that. So I'm asking tonight, what is in your bowl? What is your bowl of beans? Is your bowl of beans relationships that are pulling you down? Is your bowl of beans just not wanting to forgive? Is your bowl of beans not maybe knowing that you should have the health and the the discipline to exercise, but you're just kind of, uh, I'll get to it tomorrow. That's a big bowl of beans for me not always wanting to eat right, like always wanting to have junk food. I love junk food. Like I said, chips and salsa are the death of every diet I've ever done. But, you know, I need my health to do what God's called me to do. When you travel a lot, when you speak a lot, you can't just be sick all the time. You can't be so stuff full all the time that you can't get up on stage and talk. I mean, it's a real God, you know, God is greater than my body, but he gave me my body to carry his spirit in while I'm here on earth, and it's the only vehicle I have for doing the work he's called me to do. So I have to prioritize it. You know, that can be a bowl of beans for me. I can trade my health for some Jelly Bellies. You know, I love gummy worms. I mean, I can I can do it. I mean, it sounds dumb, but I mean that's the choice I have to make sometimes. I'm not to not be unhealthy. You know, sometimes it's it's just making those choices to prioritize the right things in your life, the really important things, not just the urgent things. There are a lot of things that scream for our time. And they make themselves seem so important. But when we step back and look at the priorities we've set in life, they're not really the things that we value. Our work can be so demanding. Volunteer opportunities can be so demanding. Our phone, returning phone calls, returning texts, I mean, the smartphone, I love them. I live on my phone. Man, that thing can be a drain to your family if you don't put it down. Twitter, Facebook, all those things, I love them all. But all of those things sometimes can take the place. They can be a bowl of beans that you trade for the things that are really important to you. So we have to be wise. We have to be wise as daughters of God that we don't give away our birthright and hold it. The Bible says Esau despised his birthright. You know, that word despise, it doesn't mean literally hated. Oh, I hate my birthright. I don't want anything to do with it. All it means is that he weighed it lightly. He weighed the beans on this side, his hunger on this side, his um, exhaustion on this side. Then he weighed the beans on this side. And you know what? He thought, you know, I mean, he weighed his birthright on this side. He said, you know what? I'm going to just hold this lightly. And so he was, it was easy for him to give it away don't hold what God has called you to lightly. Don't hold what your post is in life, your family, your friends, your church. Don't hold it lightly. Because whatever you hold lightly, it's just easy to lose your grip on. Whatever you hold lightly, the Bible says that in biblical language, holding lightly and despising are the same thing. Because eventually the thing you hold lightly is going to be outweighed by the your immediate wants and needs. So, you know, have a rise-up factor. Have a rise-up factor. Have that thing in you that will not let you quit. And you know, you might think, oh, well, I just, I don't think I have that rise-up factor. That's not me. I'm not a fighting kind of girl. I like to kind of take, take it easy. I don't know. I'm just kind of go with the flow, whatever life brings me. No, all of us have to come to a point where we have to choose to rise up or not. All of us come to that point in life. We have to choose to rise up and fight for something, or we have to choose to just let it go. And you'll know that when that moment comes, and I want to encourage you, when, when that moment comes, when God is calling you to push through and rise up, remember this, the Holy Spirit inside of you at all times, in every, in a, in every time, in, every, in a perfect way, wants to fight. The Holy Spirit in you is never stressed. Do you realize that? If you are saved, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you is 100% completely at peace all the time. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you wants to love every single person every minute of every day perfectly all the time. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you wants to forgive perfectly every single time. The Holy Spirit inside of you is not worried. The Holy Spirit inside of you is never fearful. The Holy Spirit inside of you wants to honor and love and worship God perfectly every minute of every day all the time. Okay, so sometimes we have to remember as women of God that we have the choice to behave and act like citizens of heaven rather than citizens of earth. And how do we do that? It's just by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Just yield. It's there. He's in you. He wants to love. He wants to forgive. Go in his strength. Yield to him. You have, you have the choice. You have the choice. That's your rise-up factor. That's what it is. It's really about you responding to the ability of the Holy Spirit that is in you. Just take, step back and take a moment and Listen. Okay, so the next thing, another way that you know that you're a, um, an overcomer. You might be an overcomer if you are honing your spiritual senses. If you are honing your spiritual senses, what does the word honing mean? So you know if the, the word honing means to make a more acute or effective by sharpening, to improve, perfect, sharpen, and put an edge on to put an edge on something. If you're honing your spiritual senses, you're putting an edge on your spiritual senses. Pretty pretty important to do in this life. You know what the opposite of honed is? The opposite of honed is blunt, dull, and thick. Blunt, dull, and thick. You know, in this, in this time in our history, in this time in our world, where human trafficking is such an issue, where our youth are turning away from God in record numbers, where people are leaving the church in record numbers, where marriages are failing in record numbers, where people are hopeless in record numbers. Girls, we cannot afford to be blunt, dull, and thick. We can't afford it. The church cannot afford for you to be blunt, dull, and thick. The church needs you to be sharp. The kingdom of God needs you to be sharp. God can use you best when you are honed, when you are sharpened, when you are, when you are sharpened and, and given an edge to precision. And that is what your overcomers do. They sharpen their spiritual senses. And I want to let you know that that doesn't happen by accident. Honing is a, an intentional activity. It means that you are practicing something over and over and over again until you get it right. How many have ever seen the, um, the movie uh, Karate Kid? Okay, that movie Karate Kid. Okay, I saw the old school one with Ralph Macchio. So cute. So in love with him. Okay, had his little like t- the Tiger Beat poster on my wall. Okay, so, um, <laughs> but you remember when he went to Mr. Miyagi and he was like, Mr. Miyagi, teach me how to fight. And he goes, okay, daniel son, I show you how to fight. Here, take this rag. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. So he what? Waxes the car. Wax on, wax off mad at him. Why well, you said you're going to teach me how to fight and all you're doing is making me wax this car. son. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Okay, then he does the car. Okay, Mr. Miyagi, I've done the car. Now I'm ready. I'm ready to fight. That's very good, Son. Now, paint the fence. <laughs> paint up. Paint down. Paint up. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. You're supposed to like I'm, you're supposed to be teaching me how to fight, but really you're just using me for cheap labor. That's what he's thinking. But finally, what happens, you know the movie, when after doing the fence, he comes up and he goes, I'm ready to learn how to fight. When are you going to teach me? So far, you've only been making me wax your car and paint your fences. And then what does Mr. Miyagi do? (sighs) And then Daniel's son, (sighs) wax off, wax on. All of a sudden, he realized every day while he was doing his mundane, ordinary stuff, he was really learning how to fight. He wasn't just waxing cars and painting fences. Every move he made, he was honing his senses as a warrior. And you might look at the everyday surround at your life and think, Carrie, this is all nice and good. It's great to talk about, you know, fighting and rising up and honing your senses. And that's great for people like Christine who came through here and she like goes into places and rescues people and she's like a superhero, but I'm just a mom. And so my day really consists of changing diapers and washing clothes or I'm just, you know, uh, uh, I'm just uh, um, taking care of my elderly mom every day or I'm just going to work. My life is not this exciting warrior thing that you're trying to build up. No, but you know what you are doing? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. You see, don't underestimate the importance of the ordinary when it comes to honing your spiritual senses. If you look for the spectacular, you will miss the supernatural because the supernatural often takes place in the context of our unspectacular everyday life. Many times what spiritual warfare looks like It's just wax on, wax off. Change a diaper, fold a towel, put up the clothes, have a great attitude. Love my husband when he comes through the door and don't shoot him evil eyes. You know, take that phone call from that annoying friend and dig deep and find the compassion. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it means saying yes to joining a group when everything in me wants to be shy and hold back and isolate because I'm nervous that people won't like me or I have a history of catty girlfriends that gossip behind your back and I can't take the risk of getting in a small group again because I can't be bothered with that. Wax on, wax off. Because sometimes the supernatural just looks like saying yes to that moment and stepping into it and remembering that on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit always, always, always wants to do what's right and knowing that you have a choice to behave like a citizen of heaven and not just a citizen of earth, right? So don't forget to hone your spiritual senses, okay? And I just want to, um, real quick, just kind of putting some flesh and blood around this, okay? Just putting some, some scripture around this to show you that it is actually in the Bible. Okay, First um, Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. It says this, However, it is written... You love this verse. You're going to love it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, we love that verse. So I love it. huh? We quote this all the time. No, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive. But guess what? Don't stop there because it's not where the verse stopped and that's not where Paul stops. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has served, heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us. God has revealed it to us by what? By his spirit. The things that Paul is writing about here, the things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. Guess what? But you can hear it. You can see it. You can conceive it. Why? Because God has revealed it to you. But He's revealed it to you in one way. He's revealed it to you by his spirit. And look, if we want to see and hear and perceive the things that God wants us to hear hear and see and perceive, it's not going to happen while you're driving through Chick-fil-A, okay? Okay, I have three kids. None of them were conceived while I was doing laundry, all right? They were conceived in times set aside for intimacy, and it's the same thing with conceiving hope and conceiving dreams and conceiving revelation from God that comes in time that is set aside for intimacy. That is what honing in your spiritual senses are. And he says this, he goes on to say, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We've, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why have we received the spirit? It tells us so that we can understand what God has freely given us. Look, yes, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's infinitely above us, but he's not a God who wants to stand back from us and keep us in the dark and keep us confused so that we don't know our way. He's a God that wants to open the eyes of our understanding and reveal himself to us. Is that amazing? Amazing. Girls, that's amazing. That is not something that we should take lightly. God is infinite, and he wants to continually deposit his infinite knowledge and revelation of who he is, but he does it through honing our skills, honing our senses to hear and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit by setting aside times for intimacy. Then he goes on to say, This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing what? Spiritual truth with spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are emotionally discerned. I mean, emotionally, I'm sorry. Wrong! They're not emotionally discerned. Big mistake. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What is Paul saying here? Nutshell. There is a physical world, and there is a spiritual world, and you perceive the spiritual world with your senses, but there's a whole other set of senses that you have. They're your spiritual senses, and God wants you, and no, doesn't just want you, but it specs you as an overcoming daughter of the king. To perceive this spiritual world and the only way that you are ever going to be able to perceive it is through the power of the Holy Spirit, through setting aside time to know God through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit for prayer, for reading your Bible, and for experiencing him putting aside times for intimacy. So before you start freaking out the next time there's a crisis, remember, oh, maybe I should activate my spiritual senses in this matter because maybe there's more going on here than meets the eye. Maybe there's something that I can't see or I can't hear or I can't conceive, but God knows and he'll reveal it to me. So before I freak out, why don't I think about accessing those spiritual senses and see what God has to say, see what his perspective on this is. By the Holy Spirit, we are alert to the prompting of God and understand what his will is. That's so exciting by the Holy Spirit. Listen, when we're weak, we need to remember that he's strong. How can we know that? We can perceive it by the Holy Spirit even when we feel weak. When we're overwhelmed, we need to remember that he's the rock. Okay, honing your spiritual senses is about perceiving the kingdom of God in your present reality that's what it's about. The kingdom of alive is, the kingdom of God is living. It is alive. It is well. It is active. It is moving forward, and you are part of it, and if you want to see it, you have to open your spiritual eyes. That means drawing near to God. You know, when you're in, when you are overcoming, when you're in the middle of overcoming, most of the time, winning feels like waiting, and victory feels like endurance. Winning. Winning. When you are waiting and you feel like you're just waiting and waiting, do you know what you're really doing? If you look with spiritual eyes, you'll see that really what you're doing is winning. When you're enduring and you feel like, I'm just enduring. I'm just enduring. I'm just enduring. If you'll see with your spiritual eyes and not your physical eyes, you'll realize really this feels like endurance, but what it really is is victory. Because I'm not giving up. I'm not bowing down. I'm not letting the need of my moment dictate my response. I'm keeping my eyes focused on Jesus, and I'm going to win. So that, that means you're an overcomer because you're, you're honing your spiritual senses. And then for the last thing, my last point, you might be an overcomer if you refuse to be content with mere knowledge about God, but you insist on experiencing his presence. You refuse to be content with mere knowledge about God but you would insist, insist on experiencing his presence, insist. I use that word insist intentionally because, um, you know, it's just our human nature that whenever we do things over and over and over again, they just can become so familiar to you and they lose their wonder and they lose their sparkle and their just the, the sense of wonder that you once had over it. I mean, if you remember the first time that you ever came to River Valley Church and you encountered this awesome body of believers and you walked in and maybe, maybe you just felt accepted for the first time or you felt the presence of God for the first time and you were like, oh my gosh can't believe this I never knew worship like this existed I didn't know churches like this existed I mean you couldn't wait to get here as much as you could you couldn't wait to be involved in everything but you know it's just like anything the more you do it the more familiar and commonplace it becomes and now it's like it's so easy I know this because I'm a pastor's wife okay sometimes there are sermons that my husband preaches no lie it's my 10th time to hear it all right, and I can come into church, and I can go and sit on the front row, and I can raise my hands, and I can sing, you know, um, I don't even know what a song is. Okay, um, I can't remember any songs lately. I don't know what the problem is, but um, name something. A song amazing grace I'm raising my hands how sweet what can wash away my sins I need to pick up some ground beef after church what can make me whole again I forgot to pay the dance instructor for Annabelle's lessons oh I can't believe that stove all wore that tie I should have thrown it away the last time I cleaned his closet. Oh, I need to remember to run out because that crazy lady's looking at me again. (laughs) Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean... Okay, and have you ever done that? I mean, especially if you're a leader in church, it's, I mean, you know, you're, you can be going through all, like you can be sitting behind me, you don't know. My arms are up, I'm dancing, I'm doing the whole thing, and in the inside, I'm going through my grocery list, going over my calendar, trying to figure out how I'm gonna answer it. You don't know, and it's easy to fool everybody, but you know, I never fool God, ever, and that has to be enough for me that the integrity of my heart in worship, that he sees it, that he sees it. It doesn't matter who else sees it. That he sees it. And the more you become a leader, the more that has to be enough for you or you will not walk in integrity. That God alone sees it. Only he and I will ever know. But Because when I come into the presence of God, when I come into a gathering like this, it is so easy to just go through the motions and get to my part and finish what I have to do and then run off that I can miss the moment of experiencing the presence of God. And yes, I can turn on a CD and worship God in my car and pray whenever I want, but I want to tell you there is something about coming into the presence of God together as a church, as a group of believers. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also among them. He put value on the gathering of the saints, and so many times we can become so familiar that we just don't even care if we experience God. We care if we sit in our, we come and we, you know, we make our parents. everyone knows that we're here, and we go through the motions, and we, yes, okay, we learn something new. Never let church become about a transfer of information. That's not what it's for. And look, I'm pro-learning. I love to learn. I'm a huge bookworm. I love reading intellectual books. I'm smart, okay? It's not that, not anti-learning. But what I have learned is that knowledge without the experience of the presence of God makes you puffed up and proud and it becomes an end in itself. But when you experience knowledge of God, knowledge about God with it, the incredible presence of God, it brings you humility, and love and it keeps the wonder alive in your heart for the God that you know is so holy and so perfect but that will reach down from heaven and touch you right where you are it's incredible but you have to insist on it the enemy wants to fight this every day he wants to fight it in your prayer time he wants to fight it in your church time he wants to fight it in your ministry time but you as a daughter of God you have to insist that church will never be good enough for me unless I come and experience the presence of God before I leave the doors, before I walk out. Don't be content with just transferring information, learning a new Bible verse, learning a cool new way to look at it. It's about experiencing the presence of God. That's where you're transformed. That's where you're transformed. Okay, the um, Kurt can come on up, and I'm going to close right here. I just want to read to you a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm just going to read verses 4 through 6 to you. It says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is where I want to kind of land. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Love that verse. Love that verse. And one that I say so much, I'm sure you say, and it's so easy to just walk through it, but I want to just call attention because here's this psalm about a shepherd leading his sheep. And obviously God is the shepherd and we're the sheep and we're following him all over this place. And then he gets to this place, the valley of the shadow of death, which is a place that doesn't sound very much fun to me. Not a place that I particularly feel like I'd like to you know go on vacation, hang around. But um, the Bible says that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the, sh- the shepherd does kind of a funny thing. He stops right there. Thanks, God. That's awesome. Appreciate that. So um, he stops right there, and he, and he opens the picnic basket, and he starts to unfold the blanket. He lays it out. He prepares the table. He takes out the bread and the wine or the grape juice, if you're not into that. And... um. And, and, you know, he takes out all the stuff and starts spreading this feast out. Look, in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. And it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Okay, God, when I'm around my enemies, I prefer to move on from them as much as possible. And if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, let's not have a picnic there, okay? But God is trying to show us something really specific that you might miss. If you don't know, pardon me. (laughs) Pardon me, um, <clears throat> if you don't realize what that means, and in Hebrew culture, whenever you went to someone's house for dinner, when they invited you to their table, they weren't just giving you some food to make you not hungry anymore. They were actually telling everybody around you that they're in fellowship with you. In other words, they're saying this person is my friend. They're my close friend. Eating together with somebody was super important. That's why communion is called the Lord's Supper. It indicates our commu- our our fellowship with god but also our fellowship with everybody else at the table with our with the body we're planted in as well and when the bible when a host would spread a table everybody who saw them eating together this is the message it said this person is with me and if you attack them you attack me if you steal from them you steal from me if you hurt them you hurt me because we're in fellowship together and their presence at my table means they are under my protection they are under my favor And they are within my friendship. And so God stops in your very darkest place, okay? And he doesn't rush you through and go, come on, you're gonna be okay. What he says is, hey, you know what? This doesn't bother me. Let's just have a picnic right here because I have something I would like to say to your enemies. And the thing I would like to say is, she's with me. And if you hurt her, you hurt me. And if you steal from her, you steal from me. And if you harm her, and if you come against what is hers, you come against what is mine. So we're just going to sit here and eat and let that sink into you, enemies, because I'm going to anoint her head with oil. And she's going to have more than enough. Her cup is going to overflow. You know, the oil represents always in Scripture the presence of the Holy Spirit. It represents the Holy Spirit. When, when God is anointing your head with oil, it means there is the presence of the Holy Spirit flowing over your life. That table of fellowship is communion with God. It's in his presence together. When you are in that place of worship and communion and fellowship, you are gonna draw strength. It's like when you open your heart up to God, when you participate in worship, and don't ever confuse worship with singing, okay? It's not just singing words. It is a two-way street between you and God. When you're in that place, okay, you're sending a message to your enemy. I am my beloved, and he is mine, and his banner over me is love. Amen? Amen.